Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys today. Are you feeling good? Looking good? It's a little bit cold out there this morning. I wasn't really expecting that. I've been uh, in Orlando for most of the week in, uh, with other pastors and uh, coaching network that, uh, that I'm in uh, with pastors from all over the country. And uh, man, it was like 75, 85 degrees there all week. And uh, I stopped to make... Can we get some water down here for this row here? Or maybe a bouncer. Um, but I stopped. I, th- I think the last, let's see, from Florida to maybe it was Columbia. And I got out of the car. Of course, I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt and uh, I think maybe flip-flops too. I got out of the car and was like, oh, my gosh. It, uh, it just got really cold, and uh, that may be more information than you want to know, but there it is. Anyway, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Hey, um, if you have a Bible with you, open it up or turn it on. Go to the book of Colossians. Today we're going to look at Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, and uh, I'm going to be teaching a message today called Transformed. You know, I haven't always wanted to be a preacher, I didn't grow up wanting to be a preacher. Uh, My grandpa, you've heard me say many times before, my grandpa was my pastor until I was probably in my, I don't know, my late teens, early 20s. And uh, I I didn't want to have anything to do with the ministry growing up. As a, I wasn't a preacher's kid, but I was a grandparent's kid. My my mama was was a daddy's girl, and we spent lots of time with... uh, with my grandparents, and, and for, I don't know, for maybe 12 or 13 years, uh, the first 12 or 13 years of my life, they lived right down the road, so we, we got to see them a lot. And I kind of knew the ins and outs, or at least, you know, what I thought were the ins and outs of the pastoral ministry, and it just wasn't something that I was, I was really interested in. So um, I haven't always wanted to be a pastor. When, when I was... Um, I don't know, from about seven, age seven, when uh, some older cousins introduced me to Kiss, from about age seven to maybe age 17 or 18, I wanted to be the next bass player for Kiss, you know, makeup, breathing fire, spitting blood, dragon boots, that whole thing. It turns out Gene Simmons is never going to retire, so um, I figured out I had to come up with plan B. I wanted to play for the Dodgers. I wanted to take Steve Yeager's place when he could no longer be the catcher for the L.A. Dodgers. But uh, I could hit a fastball, can't hit a curveball, never could. Didn't matter how fast it was, at least up through high school. I could eventually figure out the timing thing, but curveball, I just don't know what to do with the ball when it starts bending. Uh, and, And so, you know, eventually I gave up on the kiss thing, eventually gave up on the baseball thing. And my dad was in the contractor equipment rental business. And uh, I'd grown up going to work with him. And then when I was maybe 11 or 12, I started working for him during the summers and decided, you know, somewhere in my early teen years that that's really what I wanted to focus my life on. And so I sort of threw myself into the the family business uh, until I was, I think, 21 when I surrendered to the call of ministry on my life. If I was being completely honest, while I didn't always want to be a pastor, 
I think at maybe age nine or 10, I knew that God was calling me into the ministry. Uh, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was eight years old. Back in the day when I was going to church as a kid, you, you had three main services at church during the week. You had Sunday morning services, and most churches only had one. Uh, those were the days. Uh, actually, I, I loved doing three services, but uh, you'd have the Sunday morning service, then you'd have a Sunday evening service, and then there would be a Wednesday night, like prayer meeting, Bible study type service. And Sunday mornings was kind of for, for everyone. It was sort of the, the edification type sermons where it's the, um, uh, you know, you're building up the body and, and teaching the Bible. Sunday nights were the really evangelistic kind of services. That's when most people, in, uh, at least in the Baptist church I grew up going to, became, became Christians. And uh, I, I'll, I'll never forget the, the first Sunday night that I actually stayed awake for the whole service. You know, as a, as a kid, I mean, once the music's over, you, I, I check out. Or it, maybe every kid didn't do it, but I did. And... Uh, I would usually kind of lay down in the pew because I would sit with older cousins that were, you know, behind my parents and to the right, and uh, I would just lay out in the pew. But this one particular night, I stayed awake for the whole message, and I heard my grandpa preach a message about heaven and hell, and he gave the bad news, then he gave the good news. The bad news is that those who don't put their faith and trust in Christ will live forever just like the person who's put his or her faith and trust in Christ, but they live in hell rather than in heaven. And that night I just remembered realizing I'm a sinner and I need to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Uh, usually on Sunday nights, we would go over to my, my grandma and grandpa's house, and uh, usually cousins and aunts and uncles would be there. And uh, I, I remember walking into the kitchen that night, just kind of hanging out with my grandpa and, you know, wanting to talk to him, kind of afraid to talk to him, but needing to talk to him. And finally, I just said, Grandpa, I, I know that I need Jesus in my heart. And so in the kitchen of that parsonage, over off Walker's Ferry Road, he prayed with me. I received Christ, and a month later, I was, I was baptized. And, and, and somewhere shortly after that, maybe around age 9 or 10, I, I remember people asking me about the ministry. Like, I remember one lady in particular, her, her name was Miss Blythe. And uh, Miss Blythe would say things to me like, uh, so Jimmy, when you grow up, uh, you're going to be a preacher just like your, your grandpa, aren't you? And I would say, get back, Loretta. No, no, no way. That, sorry, I woke up this morning to Pandora and John Lennon and uh, the Beatles were singing Day Tripper. So I, I have... But I was, no, no way, I, I didn't want any part of that. Yet still, there were other moments along the way when I just could hear the Lord saying, I want, I want you to be in the ministry. This is what I want for you. See what your grandpa's up there doing? I want you to do something like that 
one of these days. And man, I fought so hard against that. I don't know if God's ever called you to something that you knew he wanted you to do. And, and it's just not in line with what you wanted in life. And so you fight really hard against it. And uh, I, I went to a, a Christian school and uh, my 11th grade homeroom teacher uh, happened to be the, the pastor's wife of the school that, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, her husband was the pastor of the church that owned and, and operated the school. And uh, one morning she just said in class, she said, because we're having prayer, and I know for some of you that's foreign. You go to school and you pray together, but that's just the way it was at school I grew up in. And, and she said, the Lord's been telling me for a while now that one of you boys is going to grow up and be a preacher. And I said, well, which, which boy are you talking about? And she wouldn't answer. So I really pushed her on it. And she wouldn't answer. I really pushed her on it. And she wouldn't answer. And I was so mad at her, I could have spit in her face. You shouldn't laugh at that. That's not funny. But I was, I was, I was furious with her. Because she, she didn't have to tell me who it was. I knew who she was talking about. And there's a whole lot more in between and a lot more after. But I just remember saying eventually yes to the gospel ministry. But saying yes to the gospel ministry started with me saying yes to the gospel. Knowing that I needed Jesus in my life. In a few weeks at our next uh, men's breakfast, I'm going to share more about my testimony and my call to ministry but I just want to start this morning by, by saying that in my life, there is a before and after. And that's true for every person who's trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There's an old life and there's a new life. There's the me before Jesus and the me after Jesus. Now, I want to ask you to do something. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus... If you know him as Lord and Savior, if there is a before Jesus and after Jesus story, I'd like to know about it. And so I just want to ask you to email it to me, to pastor at rockyriverchurch.com. I'd like to know your salvation story. I'd like to know more about who you were and who you are now in Jesus. One of the things that Paul does throughout the book of Colossians, but especially in these verses we're going to look at this morning, is he talks about the old person and the new person. And, and he compares uh, the old life you, you lived and now the new life that you live in Christ as a wardrobe. And he talks about taking one life on and putting another life on. And especially in verses 5 through 9, which we looked at last week. We're not going to review them this week. But in those few verses, Paul says, these are the things that you take off. But in the verses we're going to look at this morning, he talks about the part of the wardrobe that we put on. And this morning, what I thought I would do is talk about what it means to be in Christ, what that looks like, and the, the new you, what, what that ought to look like, what it looks like after a person 
is transformed, after a person is changed. And you know, sometimes when we hear the word transformation or change, we, we have the wrong idea. Because when you become a Christian, you're, you're still a human being. But you're a changed human being. It doesn't mean that you morph into something that you're not. Like a cherry tree. If a, a cherry tree was going to have a transformation, if it was going to change, it wouldn't change into an orange tree, right? For a cherry tree to be transform, uh, transformed, it just means that that cherry tree grows up to be the cherry tree that God created it to be. And the same is true for a person who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. We begin to change or transform into the person that God created us to be. So I want to look at these verses. I'm going to read them all in one big chunk. And then I'll go back and unpack it and give you four things that Paul says uh, characterizes our new life in Christ. He says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. And then he says, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is kind of like the overcoat of the clothes. He says, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Someone asked me, Uh, this past week as they were reading through this passage, what's the difference between psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? And the answer is, I don't know. (laughs) And Paul doesn't tell us. He says, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's one of the things I want to encourage you guys to do when you come in here to worship. Sing with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to have Christ in your family. I hope you'll be here for that. It's, uh, it's going to be a good day. As followers of Jesus Christ, Paul says that we have four new things. If you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, Paul says, I am a new person In Jesus Christ, listen, I am a new person. And for every person in this room, that ought to be good news, whether you know Jesus or you don't, because at the end of today's message, you're going to have an opportunity to become a new person. But those of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, this ought to be exciting for us because we don't have to be the old person that we once were, the person we were before Jesus. Paul says in verse 17, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. That's just Paul's way of saying that in Christ, you were something else, or or before Christ, you were something else. But because of Christ, you have become holy, which means set apart. It doesn't mean that you're better than everybody else. 
It doesn't mean that you're more important than everyone else. It doesn't mean that you never make mistakes, but it does mean that you're a new person. See, when we're born, we're born with a sinful nature. And those of you who have, who have kids, especially kids that have made it through, I don't know, age two <laughs> and beyond, you know that people are born with a sinful nature. Amen? I mean, think about it. If you have a kid, let's just start when they're five, although I believe you can see it when they're two, three, uh, for it was two for mine. Maybe, maybe my kids are just advanced. They were being <laughs> evil when they were two. Uh, <laughs> when, was, when was the time that you sat down with your kids and said, okay, kids, this is how you lie to mommy and daddy. This is how you begin to tell us things that aren't true. This is how you become rebellious. This is how you throw a temper tantrum because you want your way instead of listening to my way because I know it's better for you. I mean, when did you have to do that? Never. Your kids just know how to do those things. We all do. We don't have to learn that. That just comes naturally for us. We're born with a sinful nature, but in Christ, we are reborn with a new nature. Now, again, that doesn't mean that uh, we're never going to sin again. It doesn't mean that we're never going to have problems. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect in our lives. In fact, I would say that there is a lifelong, at least so far it's lifelong for me, There is a lifelong struggle, a battle, I would say even a war that takes place on the inside of a person between the old nature and the new nature. And I'll tell you what what I've learned through the years and especially over the last few months, that the nature that wins out is the one that you feed. If you want to kill and destroy, which those are words that Paul uses in this battle. If you want to kill or destroy the old nature, you have to starve it. You have to deprive it. You have to stop feeding the old you and feed the new you who is who you are in Christ Jesus Paul says the second thing we have as a follower of Jesus Christ is we have a new perspective. We have a new perspective. Paul says, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul just means that as a follower of Jesus, I have a new way of seeing things and seeing people. It means I began to, to look at the world of, around me, not just through my own eyes, but from the perspective of the Lord. And listen, when I look at life, when I look at situations, when, when I look at the world around me through the eyes of Jesus, it changes what I say and what I do. It changes how I say things. 
I think it's, uh, it's more than interesting that Paul connects words and deeds here. Words and actions. Uh, we, we live in a world that sort of downplays the words we use. And it, it's only the actions that matter. But I would say that words are just as powerful at times than even the things that you do. I'll give you an example. I have a good friend who I grew up with. She's more like an older sister to me. She's about five years older than me, and she's still a really good friend to me and Karen both. And she grew up with a horrible father. Just horrible. If I described him to you, you would say, yeah, that guy, he's He's horrible. He was abusive to her growing up. Um, Verbally, physically, sexually. And uh, of all of the things this father did to her in her life, uh, of all of the things that she's had to deal with and overcome, the biggest struggle for her is not something that he did physically. But it was something he said to her verbally. When she was about 16, um, her father had the, the woman who would become his third wife living in, in their home. And... This woman who would become her stepmother hated her. And it was just a, a weird jealousy sort of thing. Uh, my, my friend for several years had kind of been the lady of the house, you know, looking after the house and taking care of things. And so to this insecure woman that her dad would marry, uh, my friend was a threat to her. And her father always took sides against my friend. And one day, her dad, just before he kicked her out of the house, told her that she was a worthless slut. And then he said, get your crap and get out. And she still struggles with hearing those words and seeing them come out of his mouth. You know, sometimes our words hurt far more than, you know, a physical pounding that we can put on someone. I I grew up with the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We all know that that's garbage. For some of us, some of the the worst scars we have in our lives are are words that hurt. Words from a parent or a neighbor or some bully in the fourth grade or a coach. Words and deeds, they matter. And when you become a follower of Jesus, because you have a, a new perspective a new way of thinking about life, a new way of seeing people, it changes the words that you use and the things that you do. I was at a, uh, 
at a restaurant yesterday on my way home. It was just a fast food kind of thing on my way home from Orlando. And I, just because I had to stop and get gas, I was, I was getting some food, and it was right at lunchtime. I'm usually an off-peak guy. I don't, I don't like to go to lunch at 12 o'clock because everybody else is there. I like to go before or after. But I'm at lunch at 12.30, and the, the place is packed. There are about maybe 10 customers in front of me, about that many behind me. And I was watching the, the, the kid. I'm going to call him a kid because he was about 17 or 18. He, he's the one taking the orders. And I'm telling you, he walked around behind that counter like he had dead lice falling off of him. I'm sorry, do you understand that expression? (laughs) Can I take your order? I thought, Lord, have mercy. Maybe I should leave. But I'm like, no, by the time I I leave and go somewhere else, you know, I could have just stayed here. And so I stayed in line. One of the things I try to do is people that serve me, you know, a waiter or a waitress or somebody at the grocery store, whatever that may be, I try to think of some way to compliment them. And I'm telling you, I was really struggling with this kid. (laughs) I was thinking, you know, maybe I could say, wow, you're really a good breather or you have nice eyes or something. I I didn't know what I was going to say. And uh, finally, you know, I'm I'm up there. It's my time to, to order and uh, so he took the order and walked back. He was fixing my drink, and he came back over, and I said, man, because uh, it was kind of impressive. He didn't just fix my drink, but he had like six drinks that he did. And it was like all of a sudden this guy was, um, you know, like a professional barista or something I mean he's just it's like he just whips out five cups man they all have eyes and it, it was amazing I said man that's incredible how fast that you got the ice in those cups and his drinks I mean that, that's amazing I mean where uh where did they hire a guy like you you know and we're just kind of back and forth got my drink stepped to the side and you should have seen the difference in this kid Just that compliment, it changed the expression on him. It, it, it made him engaging to the customers that were behind me. And, and it just reset the tone of what was happening behind that counter. I'm like, this manager ought to come out here and pay for my lunch. <laughs> you have a new way of looking at people. A new way of talking to people. And, and you know, some, sometimes it is what we say that matters. Sometimes it's, it's not what you say or it's what you don't say that matters. I have an opinion on pretty much everything. Now, it may not be an informed opinion, But I have an opinion on pretty much everything. And so some of you are smiling. And I know what that smile means. It means you are like that too. So here's what I've had to learn. I'll just pass it along to you. You don't have to say everything that's on your mind. 
Can I just say that again? It's true. You, you don't have to say everything on your mind. And some people will mask that. They'll cover that up and say, well, I'm just, I'm just being real. You may just be a real horse's rear end. You don't have to say everything you think or even everything you want to say. When you are a follower of Jesus, you have a new perspective, a new way of saying things, a new way of looking at others, a new way of seeing situations. And that tempers all that you do. If you can say, Paul says, say everything and do everything in the glory of Jesus. If you can be ugly to that waitress at that restaurant in the name of Jesus and for his glory, then go ahead. But you can't. And then the third thing Paul says is, as a follower of Jesus, I have new priorities. He says, therefore, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, he says, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So compassion, what's compassion? That's just being sensitive to the needs of other people. Kindness is acting on your compassion. There's, there's a, a difference between compassion and kindness. And, and the way I explain this, or at least the way I think of this, is that hungry kid needs more than your heartfelt sympathies. He needs a sandwich. That lonely person needs more than you feeling sorry for him or her. They need a friend. Kindness is compassion in action. Humility is about for, forgetting your status in life. And the Romans and these Colossians, they're, they're Gentile Roman uh, citizens. They, they were all about their rights. Everything was about status. It was about the haves and the have-nots. And then they had ways of grading the haves and the have-nots. I mean, you could be the poor and the really poor and even more poor you could be rich, really rich, and then super wealthy. And it was all about badges and honor and where your position is in life. And Paul says that as followers of Jesus, we're to be humble, which means we set aside our position. We set aside our rights, and we're willing to serve other people no matter who they are. So it's the rich willing to serve and touch the poor and, and if you consider yourself in the poor class, it's the poor being willing to serve the rich. And by the way, just so you know, in life I've experienced some of the difference. Some of the most generous, giving people I've ever known were the haves. Some of the most selfish, ungiving people I've ever known where they have very littles. Humility is just setting aside your station in life to serve other people. Gentleness is being humble and considerate of others. 
It's being submissive to God's will. I, I, didn't, I didn't get to watch all of the Billy Graham funeral on Friday. So once I got home last night, I, I watched the recording of it. I loved what his kids had to say about him the most. And especially the last kid that spoke, not Franklin who gave the message, but, but the, the other son. He said, my father was fat, faithful, available, and teachable. What can you teach, Billy Graham? I don't have anything I could have taught him. But he was teachable. A gentle person is teachable. Patience. He says, these are the new values we put on. We should be long-suffering. You know what that means? That means putting up with someone who irritates you. You ever have someone that just irritates you? They don't even have to do anything or say anything. You can just see them and already you're irritated. Patience means that you put up with that person. You you could cut them off or cut them down, but instead you show them patience. Paul says to forgive. The, The Romans were really big on matters of the law. And he speaks of grievances. If someone has a grievance against you, man, that's your opportunity to take them to court. And Paul says that you should forgive that other person even when they're wrong and you're right. Even when you could take that person to court and you have enough evidence to, to, to get a victory for yourself, you let that go. And the word he uses for forgiveness and the tense he uses it in means that you not only forgive them one time, but you forgive them and you keep on forgiving I love in the Gospels where Peter came up to Jesus once and said, Lord, how often should we forgive someone? Seven times? And what he was doing is he was brown-nosing Jesus just a little bit but because a Jew was only responsible to forgive someone three times. So Peter is saying, how about if I double that and then just add... One more to it. Uh, Lord, does it sound super spiritual to you? And does it really put me in your good graces? When I ask you how often I should forgive someone, and I say, how about seven times? And Jesus said, no, that doesn't quite get at it. You should forgive 70 times seven times, which is a number that keeps going. I mean, Peter couldn't even take off his sandals and add with his fingers and toes how many that is. It's Jesus' way of saying you keep on forgiving. And then he says forbearance, bearing one another's burdens. That, that means that you carry the burdens of other people. That, that means you, you, you carry the load that someone else is carrying. You, you care for their needs. Like, like this past week, uh, it's been a busy week for our, our staff team. They had a, a wedding this week and an unexpected funeral, and they're great, so they were able to handle it. But on Monday, with Mike Board's funeral in here, some of you, and I, I know that everybody couldn't because it was right in the middle of a work day and that sort of thing, but m- many of you were able to come up here and serve and greet 
and clean up the building and love on Mike's family, and you didn't even know who they were. But as a community of faith, that's what we do. And Paul says, do it all with love for the purpose of unity. And it's an unconditional kind of love that is about keeping the the unity of the church. So you have, uh, as a follower of Jesus, you're a new person. You have a new perspective. You have new priorities. And finally, as a follower of Jesus, you have a new peace. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule your body, which means your actions, the decisions you make, the words you use. But he says, also, let it rule over your heart. And when he talks about ruling and peace, the, the Colossian Christians that heard this, they understood exactly what Paul was getting at because the government had promised them peace, but they didn't have any peace. The, the emperors who uh, claimed themselves to be gods as a part of their rule over the people, he said, if you'll give us your loyalty, if you'll give us your money, if you will give us um, your commitment, we will give you peace. We'll give you the desires of your heart. And for Rome, what it meant to offer Pax Romana, Roman peace, was just that they were not at war with other governments, with other countries. But in Rome, there was no peace. People on the inside of Rome were just as empty as they had ever been. And so this is Paul's way of saying, if you really want peace in your life, you won't find that in worldly things. Only through Christ. I want to close this way this morning. By asking you, if there's an old you and a new you, Or is it just the same old you? Is there a story of your life that's before Jesus and now there's an after Jesus story? A story with Jesus. Is there an old life and a new life? The other thing I would ask is, do you have the peace of Christ in your life? I think above all else, that's what people want in life. They want peace. Do you have it? I think tonight is the, uh, which awards is it tonight? Movie awards. It's the Oscars. Beyond the politics of tonight, there will be a parade of people who have everything that money can buy. And yet, almost to the person, they are empty. You don't have to be wealthy or a Hollywood star to know what it's like to be empty. And to feel like there indeed is a war that's just raging in your life where you have no peace. Would you like to be full? And would you like to have peace? You can have that through Jesus.
Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man cometh unto the Father except that he come by me. If you would have peace, then pray this prayer with me. Let's stand together. Once you're standing, just bow your head, close your eyes. And to receive the peace of Christ in your life, just say this prayer with me. Just say, oh God, I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sins. I'm willing to turn from my sins. And I receive Jesus as my Savior. I receive him as Lord. From this moment on, I want to follow him in the fellowship of the church. Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray. And those who agreed said, amen.